Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal Stories of Soccer Legends, narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Halland, Zatlan, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. And based on my pronunciation of those uh, historical names, I am going to definitely have to listen to this podcast. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal Stories of Soccer Legends wherever you get your podcasts. everybody this is double g for the fight game podcast quick intro here just going to get a couple things out before we get to today's show uh dave Meltzer is going to be in the first segment we talk about ufc 251 we talk about uh the sports and, and as far as uh if these sports are going to be able to go on with uh the plans for combating covid19 um, and yeah, just talking about the the entire card and, and how things shaped up and how uh, the fight with Kamaru Usman and uh, Jorge Masvidal was able to actually happen. And then uh, I'm going to bring on John, and John and I are going to talk about WCW from 1992, starting with the 4th of July show from WCW Saturday Night. We're going to start doing these shows every Monday um, uh, you know, we, we were doing the We Want Flair segments, so this is going to be the second half of the year. We're going to talk about WCW Saturday Night from 1992, and just, you know, WCW business at this time in general. We'll talk about the pay-per-views, and, you know, Bill Watts coming in is the, is the big thing right now, so we'll have a, a large discussion about the, the, the Watts commandments. Um, and the I guess the only other thing I want to mention is uh, the second uh, Rocky podcast on uh, the second movie, Rocky Two, will be out on uh, late Tuesday, early Wednesday. So if you haven't listened to the show, the first one that Duan and I did, really, really deep diving into the Rocky movies, lots of facts that that people may not know about, interesting inf- tidbits and information, and, and just everything about the movie that you could possibly think of. And we're going to do these every week in midweek for uh, nine weeks. So think of this as your mini series, summer series, whatever episodes uh, in the same feed as Fight Game Podcast. So, you know, for the next uh, several weeks, for the next several couple months, actually, we should have three shows a week. So hopefully uh, we will give you what you enjoy, something you enjoy and uh, we'll we'll keep doing what we're, what we're doing here. But uh, that that's it for me. And uh, let's uh, let's bring on Dave Meltzer. All right, bringing on Dave Meltzer. Uh, thanks for joining, Dave. Wanted to talk to you about the UFC show this weekend, which all of a sudden, um, quite the changes to the card. And 
if things go right and people pass their uh, their COVID nineteen tests, we actually get the fight that I think most people wanted in the first place. They, they, they actually passed the tests. That's clear. They're clear now. Well, I mean, I guess that they still have to pass the test when they land. Right. Right. But, the, but they have a couple more tests to pass. But the yeah, the one yeah, that they'll, they'll have a couple more tests to pass in the next week. But but they passed the test to get to go, which is a good sign. How, how did all this stuff come together? Like at the last minute, like I just I was so surprised because I assumed because of the quarantine period and because of the test that it was just a, it, it was just not going to happen. And all of a sudden they pulled it, you know, they, they pulled it off. And I was so surprised. Yeah, I think that they kind of, you know, I mean, one of the things with this is that Abu Dhabi paid them a lot of money for these cards. So they do have money to spend. And it is a pay-per-view, and it's supposed to be the biggest card of the year. And so, I mean, obviously they offered Masvidal the money that he wanted. I'm I'm still surprised that they did it on this day, but I guess the day was important because, um, you know, what a risk for Masvidal. I mean, it's, he hasn't been training, and it's a five-round fight against a really tough guy who's, in, who's you know, w- with great cardio. So, um, I mean, Masvidal might be really confident in everything, but that's... Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, Usman is such a big favorite if they were going in under even circumstances. Although, obviously, for Usman, he trained for a completely different type of fighter. Mm-hmm. But but still, from a conditioning standpoint, he should be way ahead. And and in a fight like that, you know, if Masvidal, you know, Masvidal's got to get him early, you know, and, and, and obviously he could. And that's the the key to this fight. He's is is he's got to get him early in the fight. I think. So uh, Ryan Frederick, who writes for your website and also writes for uh, Fight Game Media, he he made a point that I thought was pretty interesting, which is this show uh, before Gilbert Burns had to pull out because he tested positive for COVID nineteen. This show was really good on paper, but it was almost like. It was the the plan B fights because Masvidal and Usman was obviously, I think, the one that everyone wanted. Yeah. Now, now we get it. But the, but some of the other fights. It's weird, though, because everyone's happy we get it, but I'm not. I would rather see if they're going to fight. I would rather see them fight at their best rather than fight in name only, which is kind of how I look at it. It's like um, because if if. Um, if Masvidal goes in there and and just runs out of gas and and everything, it's kind of like he's blown his opportunity and he has earned this a real opportunity and, and he's getting, you know, what I call a handicap match, so to speak. Um, so I'm not as happy as a lot of people are. But yeah, they're now getting the fight that they would rather see. It's a much bigger fight for sure. But do you think we're going to see these cards down the line where – Maybe you don't get the matchup that you wanted or that that makes the most sense because guys either don't want to fight during this time period or they feel like, you know, that they they're actually worth more and, you know, something like John Jones. But do you think we're going to get more the sort of the plan B fights? And, and you know, with UFC, like they, they have enough depth to where the plan B fights are actually pretty good. But, you know, maybe we don't get the marquee, the best fight, which has kind of been, you know, it's kind of been UFC's uh, calling card, which is, you know, you, you, you really get the best fights. And, and, and I wonder if that's going to continue while we're in this time of, of no fans. I think so. I think that that's what's going to happen because it's not really... 
Um, it doesn't make the most economic sense to have John Jones or Conor McGregor fight right now and offer them big, big money. Plus, they want big, big money, um, and they don't have a lot of leverage. So, I mean, the one thing is, is, is for McGregor is he'd have leverage for Vegas, you know, wanting a big, big fight, and Conor would bring that, and Jones to a lesser degree. Uh, but yeah, I think that, um, I don't think UFCs is, I mean, they want to put on good fights and their pay-per-views have done surprisingly well, but I think that, um, they're not under the gun, so to speak. But then again, in this one, it's like they really could have, and no one would have said anything and just going, well, Gilbert Burns tested positive and it's a week out and, you know, remake the fight, you know, in two months or three months and everybody would have been okay that's the thing to do and so they did they did bend over backwards to get masvidal so um i guess it's you know i guess i i don't know it's every i think every situation is probably different i think this one may be that they just felt that uh with abu dhabi that they promised them a certain level of card and you know to take on all this expense to to do all this crazy stuff that they're doing and so it was worth it for that but um um, you know, they haven't seemed to bend over backwards for Jones or, or McGregor so far. Do you, do you think the fact that they did, they that they needed Masvidal here, do you think that affects negotiations with some of the other big players? I saw Nate Diaz kind of uh, give Gilbert Burns a bit of a hard time for even accepting the fight in the first place, knowing that he was sort of second choice. Uh, but but do you think this this changes anything with any of these guys or maybe the play is to like wait it out and see if guys fall off and 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 then then strike while the iron's hot? Well, I think that that because of Abu Dhabi made sense, but I don't know that it would make sense at the apex in Vegas when they're paying all the freight themselves. Mm-hmm. I think if this fight was at the apex with this kind of with the one week notice and everything, I don't I don't see them making the play for Masvidal at the last minute. So. so- Every situation's different. So uh, it looks like you you would you would favor heavily Usman because he's he he's fully trained and he's ready to go and and we don't we don't really know what Masvidal has been able to do. Yeah, plus Masvidal, think about this too. He's got to cut all that weight while you know flying over right now. I don't know how much he's over one seventy walks around at, but. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he was somewhat ready and somewhat like in, in his mind. Did he have some warning that if something happens that you'll get this deal? I don't know. Um, but that's another thing is the weight cut. So, um, I I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously Masvidal has the chance to knock him out. That That's always a possibility. But I, I think that um, I would label Usman a, a pretty solid favorite in the fight for that reason. A lot more than if it was... You know, a normal fight. That's why I'm kind of disappointed again, like I said, was I want to see these guys fight on even terms, not mm-hmm. not where the, the the basic story is, is that Masvidal's got to get him quick or he's going to run out of gas. You know, what's interesting about these fights during this time period, though, is I almost I almost feel like nobody is really at their best. And and, and if you know, nobody, even if, nobody is so completely at their best because the training partners aren't there. But some people have a huge advantage over the others. Mm-hmm. You know, like the they're the, the people who are willing to violate uh, the the mores of society have a huge <laughs> advantage over the people who don't want to do that. Like, right. you know, like 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 with Max Holloway, you know, like literally training 
uh, via Zoom you with no training partners um, against a guy who may be in the gym um, with his training partners. Yeah, it's like that's another handicap. It's it's kind of it's like it's weird because, you know, and even like with with Cormier and, and Miocic, it's like we're going to get Cormier to fight. But he's you know, I mean, he's going to be training in his own is his, his home gym, not not at his regular gym. Mm-hmm. So it's. um you know, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of motivation and maybe, you know, maybe it works out. I mean, the one thing Holloway was talking about with this fight is that usually when you go into a fight because you've done all that training and, and sparring and all that stuff that you're all beat up. And the one thing is, is that, you know, his timing and his and everything probably isn't going to be there. But physically, he's he's not beat up. Right. So we'll see. I mean, Bisping did that with Luke Rockhold where he came in and. You know, but then if you remember that fight, it still only went one round. But yeah. Bisping felt really good because he didn't wear his body down with all that that stuff. But, you know, if, if Bisping didn't get that one punch in at the right time, um, you know, that fight may have gone very differently and probably would have. So the last time uh, Volkanovski and Holloway fought, uh, unanimous decision. It was a good fight, but I think it was a clear, clear for Volkanovski. And I, I can't imagine that running it back with what we know as far as Holloway's uh, training. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out how the how the decision is different this time. Yeah, if you watch the first fight, it was pretty solid who the better fighter was. You know, I mean, all five rounds. So it would have to take, you know, either an injury or something. But, you know, there's the pandemic. We don't know how sharp Holloway's going to be. We there's, so, there's all the different questions, but based on the first... You know, based on the first fight, I was not that excited over a second fight because it's kind of like this wasn't like an even fight went back and forth. Somebody tagged the other guy and, and you know, it could go you know, watch the fight and go either way. I was watching that fight and the whole fight was like, OK, you know, Volkanovsky's just better than this guy. So and then uh, with uh, the bantamweight title, we have uh, Jose Aldo making his bantamweight Debut, right? No, sec- second bantamweight fight. Oh, second bantamweight fight. He, he so, lost to Marlon Murray. Oh, that's right. That's right. In a close decision that he, that he could have won. It was a close fight, but he doesn't deserve a title fight off of that. But he's getting it because originally the fight was going to be in Brazil, and so they figured, well, if we're going to Brazil, let's give Aldo the fight because Aldo's popular in Brazil. Now that it's not in Brazil, it it makes that that decision makes less sense. But you know, that's the decision they're going with. Star-making opportunity for uh, Peter Yan here? I think so. It should be. It should be. Um, I mean, he just blasted Faber, uh, which, I mean, some can excuse and say Faber's old. Yeah, I mean, Aldo's been around, and he's old as a fighter in the sense that, you know, he really hasn't been the same guy in a while. He's still, I mean, look, you know, Mariah's a, a top fighter in the division, and he fought evenly with him. So he's still a very good fighter. But, you know, I mean, Aldo was almost unbeatable a couple of years ago until the McGregor fight. And, of course, this is a a lighter weight class, which it's amazing to me. I mean, he says that he's going to make this weight easier than he made 145. I remember watching him at 145, trying to make 145 and and him having that look in his eyes, that vacant look, that near-death look. And the idea of 10 more pounds, because when he was like fighting at 145, I mean, he was walking around at like 180 to 190. And when you're, you know, maybe he's walking around a little lighter now, but the idea of a guy his size at 135 is just, that's like blows my mind, really. But 
I mean, he did make the weight before, and he he did he was athletic at that weight. Um, you know, but yeah, the, uh, these weigh-ins may be may be interesting in of themselves. Um, yeah, this one might be for this fight. I mean, and and, and Masvidal too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, and just the fact that you know they're they're all the traveling or not not all the traveling, but just the different stops and the and the passing of the tests. Like it just interrupts a lot of stuff, and and I'm sure once they get. Once they get to Abu Dhabi and they kind of adjust, like it, it'll be, uh, it'll be good. But there's thing. still the time zone thing. Well, that's the weird thing in the sense of, I mean, no one is trying to adjust to the time zone because the fight in Abu Dhabi time, um, you know, the cards are going to be, I think, um, like two to eight a.m. essentially in Abu Dhabi. So you might as well just because it's going to be um, like Saturday's show would be. Um, what like the uh, seven? Um, let's see, uh, it's like six, six to midnight, six to one type of type of time from, from you know in Pacific time. Not uh, you know, so it'd be nine to whatever, nine to uh, when, when, wait, 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 six to one Eastern time, three to ten Pacific time is kind of the time frame of the fights. So you're fighting on American time, even though it's the middle of the night there. So while there's a, a time zone, you know, you're, you're certainly got a ridiculously different time zone that you're in. You probably might as well just stay on on the time zone that, you know, your your own time zone rather than try to adjust and, you know, sleep at your normal time and everything like that. It's not like you're going out sightseeing and things like that. I mean, I, there are sites to see, but it's it's kind of like you're in a bubble. anyway. you know, it's a legitimate bubble environment for the most part. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. Do not forget to bet on UFC 251 this weekend. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So what do you think about this bubble idea? I know um, the NBA is going is to try to pull this off for a number of months and the UFC only has to do this for about a month but really really two weeks it's it's the 11 15 18 25 right yeah yeah you're right it's 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 not as long just the uh I mean you know you can take all the protocols and you can watch people and you can make sure that you know you, you know people are out of the bubble or, or people who are out of the bubble you know don't come in and guys who are in the bubble don't go out like but just like this is, it's if I was, I guess I, you know, if I was in the bubble and, you know, in the NBA, like they're going to allow media to, but you have to be in the bubble for, for, for the media. But just, you know, it's got to be like the, one of the scariest things of like, because there's so much unknown as far as what's going on. And I know the UFC is being really safe as far as all the testing, but still, like, I just can't imagine, you know, trying to do your job in this, in this environment. Yeah. I mean, everyone's like a guinea pig in this this is kind of like the guinea pig for the nba short term but yeah the 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 mental pressure on the people i mean like for, for 
For UFC, I don't think it's bad because you're, you know, you're you're at fight week, but you got everything that you need, you know, that, you know what I mean? And it's only for, you know, whatever it is, a week or two, whatever it's going to be. It's not a long period of time, whereas the NBA, you know, you can go stir crazy. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess to that degree, it's hard, but it's kind of like, it's not that different from some of us in the sense of, you know, really not going anywhere or doing anything. And there is a stir crazy element to it, but it's just at some point you just, okay, this is this year and this is how it's going to be. And, you know, um, but with like, with the NBA, it's like, okay, do you bring your family into the bubble? And then it, then it gets really weird. Yeah. I think, I think you can do it like maybe after, like if you get to the playoffs, I think you can maybe bring the family, but you know, in, in the NBA, like the, they're closing down, practice facilities because of uh positive tests like i think i want to say the sacramento king like i don't remember exactly who did it but there are uh, practice facilities that that are you know trying to get their their players kind of back to do to do a little bit of like a, a mini camp and like I, I think like two of them got closed just today so it's that that that's scary they haven't even got to the bubble yet it's everything it's like we're probably going to have everything start but I worry about once it starts, what happens, you know, across the board, because I think that so, I think that we've seen from wrestling, although wrestling's less people. Um, but I think what we've seen is, is that you can go a while before there's a problem. But once like if these other sports have that problem, I, I don't anticipate them like being able to, um, you know, like downplay it and hide it and keep going uh i think the outcry would be i don't know about the outcry but i think that just you know the players themselves would would just say i'm going home mm-hmm. at that stage you know whereas well, like with the wrestlers i don't you know this i mean there's obviously a few of these guys did go home but not a, you know not enough to where they couldn't run a show but if if you have uh you know, an NBA team where there's an outbreak and, you know, like a couple of guys have it and the rest of the guys say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go home. You, you know, the team's out. Yeah. Well, in baseball, uh, David Price from the Dodgers, he said he was not going to play. Um, Buster Posey and Mike Trout, who are, you know, top players for their teams, they both said like, I'm playing this by ear, like, uh, like I think I, I, everyone's. I think everyone's going to play it by ear, whether they say it or not, because everyone's. I think the higher paid you are, the more likely you're going to like worry about your health. I think like borderline guys may want to play, right. but top top guys that have the ability to just go look, you know, this, you know, I mean, it's like, and especially for baseball, because baseball is such a statistic game, right? It's like. Um, I mean, it, it you know it's like it's almost like the whole year has an asterisk by it, in, in the sense of are people really going to take the winner of the World Series like they really won the World Series? Maybe yes, maybe no. But the stats, if well, you know, what if somebody hits four hundred and you know what I mean? It's like it's like <laughs> you did, but you didn't. Um, that would actually be awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for that. <laughs> I mean, it, it look, it's in a 60 game season, it's absolutely possible. Somebody oh, yeah. gets hot and everything, you know, I mean, cause how many times, and again, I, I'm not an expert on this, but how many times 60 games into the season 
is there somebody hitting 400, but they never do after 162 games. Yeah, I know I mean, it's happened because I've seen uh, people flirt with it. T- Tony Gwynn uh, in in the 90s, and then the famous one is uh, George Brett in the early 80s. Uh, they were they were both flirting with uh, 400, you know, de- definitely later on in the season. So it's definitely doable. Yeah. And and I know Rod Carew had years where he was up there, you know, until midseason at least. Mm-hmm. So, but it's like it's just it's just different. And then basketball, I don't know. I mean, it's so abbreviated and everything in the sense that, um, you know, I you know I I guess it's it's less games and everything to where. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh, well. Just, I mean, base, baseball actually. I think you know they they have a pool of fifty players, and so I, I imagine that I don't know exactly what the rules are, but I imagine if people, you know, the reason why the pool is so large is is because if people do end up testing positive or deciding that they that they're going to go home, they have players to choose from. But then at that point, you have you know you don't really have your top teams your top players and and it becomes a little bit of like a you know scrubs you know kind of thing and i don't think that's good at all like it like if it gets to that level then you just you just shut it down and say let's try again next yeah it's almost like you know a scab strike season not really it's not but it's but there's a similarity but the other one too is that um you know in in a normal season whether it's basketball football and certainly football but and baseball to a degree you know, injuries play a part in all this and who's going to win the championship. You know, it, you know, if you have the less injuries, you've got a better shot, especially to your top players in basketball more than any other sport. But an injury is like one guy. But this is going to be a situation where if your team has an outbreak, you know, it's like going to be, you know, let's say it's eight guys. I mean, it's a completely different ball game than, than okay, you got an injury or maybe even two key injuries. But when it's this, and it's also, it's it's temporary in the sense that it's probably going to be a couple weeks, you know, not not necessarily six months or, or the rest of the season, but we're also cramming, you know, the seasons are shorter, so it means more to the season. And, and what if, okay, okay, let's say a bunch of guys, do we have doctors that, that like clear them early? <laughs> um, how, you know, you know what I mean? Because you know how doctors are when it comes to team sports, they're, um, they're sometimes they're they're not going to err on the side of caution, especially in the middle of a season or with with playoffs in in play. Yeah, the the. I mean, look it, at look at look at you know the wrestling doctors are 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 telling these guys, oh, you're okay, um, uh, quicker than maybe another doctor would. I mean, I'm certain of that. Like, how could you, if if you understand how the test works. Like how how can you be comfortable unless you pass like three tests in a row? Like like with just one test, you're like, oh, okay, you're well, one probably is, fine. Yeah, one, but the thing is, that they in both of those sports, I presume they're going to be tested like all the time, every I don't day, know, I would daily. Say, but hope. it's probably going to be a couple times a week, and that's enough to where you're probably, you know, that's that's probably as good as you're going to get. Nothing's 100, percent but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be too worried about three times a week testing. You know, I would be a lot more worried if I was going in there and they were just taking my temperature like with WWE. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I know in, in Oakland for the A's, I think they, their players took tests on Thursday 
And because of the holiday, I don't think they're going to get them back until like tomorrow or maybe even Tuesday. So imagine you're trying to run this little, you know, this little mini camp and you can't actually do anything until these folks uh, test negative. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't wait until this is over. We don't have to talk about this constantly, but it's, it's, you know, the reality for, you know, I mean, for several more months, you know, I mean, and maybe a lot longer, you know, if you were to guess, because I I would imagine, you know, I've heard Dr. Fauci say that, you know, what he thinks, but like, are we, are we in the, I mean, it's nowhere near, I don't think it's half, right? It was probably like only 25 or 30% into this thing. I don't know. I'm not, I, I haven't asked enough experts on, I mean, so much depends on, unfortunately, you know, things that we didn't do that other countries did, you know, I mean, our, we've got, we've got a percentage that's way too high of deniers and they're so denying now and it just, and it ruins it for the ones who aren't. And so this thing, look, this thing, I, I expect in, as far as this country goes that we're in trouble until there's a vaccine. Mm-hmm. At the vaccine level, then I think everything will be okay. But, you know, I mean, yeah, on a, on a, on a very, uh, whatever, you know, most on an optimistic basis, maybe that's early next year, but you know, it may not be. Um, and there's, it's, it's, it's affecting, you know, I mean, it's like our, our kids schools, you know, um, what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's everything, you know, you know. The, the, you know, you talk about the doctors, uh, you know, wanting to to speed things along, like the the school that that Crystal's going to going to work at there that, you know, as of at least a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about, oh, yeah, you know, kids are going to be back in full and they don't have to wear masks and X, Y and Z like they were full like plan A was that's like, not gonna that's not gonna fly no not at all not not in September that's not gonna I mean I, I mean a couple of months ago you might say well by September and I would have thought that but I'm pretty sure that that maybe second semester but I don't see it even possible in September that that you can do that but I've heard the same thing as far as my daughter was um you know like uh you know more social distancing in school but going but again it's it's early and you know We'll see. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, especially the younger kids, they get sick all the time. Like, they, like you know, so it, yeah. it, I wouldn't only and be then, worried about. Around. Yeah, I wouldn't only be worried about you know necessarily coronavirus, but just other things as well. That that you know, and and if your kid all of a sudden has a fever, even if they don't have the coronavirus, you're going to immediately. You pull them out of school, take time off of work, make sure, be safe. And there's, you know, there's going to be some hysteria around that, too, I, I would I would imagine. Um, OK, so uh, I guess just the last two fights in the main card, uh, Andrade and Nami Yunus. I'm really looking forward to this fight because I thought the first fight, I thought Rose was going to just uh, dominate and, 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 you know, win a, win a decision. She looks so great in 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 that first round and then got dropped on her head and, and lost the fight the the thing the thing that's so interesting about rose too is you don't know sort of emotionally where she is with stuff so i i like i would assume that you know she probably if we see the same rose she doesn't make that same mistake and and wins this fight but then again like i who, who like you know she she's a little bit of a wild card when it comes to that yeah i think that's a perfect analysis i the rose who fought her the first time even though she lost would probably win eight out of ten times 
that fight, maybe nine, but she lost. Um, and that type of a home run thing. Because, I mean, it's, 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 it's basically, I mean, how often really do you get taken down and, and knocked out on the takedown? I mean, it's so rare. It was like, a, you know, almost like a hole-in-one thing. I mean, even if Andrade gets in and takes her down once or twice, you know, Rose was going to get up, and Rose was so much better standing up. It wasn't even competitive that way. But you don't know with Rose... She hasn't fought in a while. Um, she's always on the verge of retirement. It's like mentally, I don't think mentally she really wants to fight. I think she's really good at it. And it's kind of, there's a pressure to do it. But I don't feel like she wants it. Whereas like other fighters really want it. Um, so, but she, look, she beat um, Joanna twice decisively. And, you know, beat Joanna in a way that, that, you know, Wele Zhang could not beat her. So you can kind of look at it like she could be the world champion. I mean, could be. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, I, I actually, yeah, that's a very interesting fight. And, you know, I think the key is, is Rose's mental status. Because if Rose is the same Rose that she was the last time, um, she showed she could just pick her apart. I wonder if basically uh, her fiance being uh, a big part of her training, I, w I wonder if that helps in this time. I would imagine somewhat it does, at least, if you're living so. with, with with the person who, who really helps you out. Yeah, I, I'm really I think so. And, and, you know, he's got a lot of experience, you know, preparing for a fight and things like that. Um, so, I mean, as far as like, I don't think like, you know, like your other can under stress uh, hurt you or help you. And in this case, I think that probably will help her a lot because he knows he's on the same wavelength she is. And he knows like, I can't do this because it's going to get in the way of the fight. And, you know, so, so I, I think it's a positive. And then the last fight on the main card or the first fight on the main card, Rebus and uh, Paige Van Zandt, they I mean, they're they're very hopeful that that Rebus, uh, you know, kind of makes herself in this fight, right? Because yeah. they ex they fully expect Paige to leave. Yes, yes, and I think it's the fight. You know, I think that they've identified Rebus as a star, and Rebus is a very good fighter. And it's like, you know, a Paige fight will get interest. And they, it serves them no purpose to give Paige a fight that she's going to win. So they're going to give her a, a, a contender who, you know, I mean, I, I think the idea is to, to get a big win and springboard into, uh, you know, a, a championship level fight. So, I mean, that's certainly the thing. I, I haven't seen anything with, with Paige Van Zandt that makes me think that she can pull off like that, you know, underdog upset in this fight. I have never I haven't seen that. I think that'd be a, a, a really big upset. For, for her to do that. Um, if, if if having fun on Instagram was uh, was something that could help her win, then maybe. But, I, I mean, she's having a blast on Instagram. Well, that's where she makes her money. Yeah. So. No. Uh, okay, anything on the prelims or the early prelim card that you're necessarily looking forward to? I mean, the, the big one, I think, is is Ostomir and, um, you know, uh, Jerry Prozoska. Uh, just because I'm, I'm interested in how he assimilates into UFC after doing so well in Ryzen in Japan. And, um, you know, Ostomir is like the perfect opponent because he's good, but he's not a world beater. So if he can't beat him, it kind of says, okay, this guy's not going to be a contender. 
But if the guy is good enough to be a contender, he probably beats Ozdemir. And with that win, he's, you know, I mean, light heavyweight needs some some guys because really, you know, with John Jones, you know, you've got John Jones and Dominic Reyes. And I don't think there's anyone else, you know, because I think everyone else, those two guys beat easily right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, that's that's all that uh, that I wanted to ask you. But I, I guess the last thing I would say is, uh, when when this first started, we had talked about like what, what you know, what are we going to talk about? What are you going to write about? Like the the sports are kind of stopping. And then if we just rewind like two weeks ago, you had literally one of the busiest weeks I've ever seen you have, and and, and maybe it's not the busiest, but. Gosh, one of the hardest ever. Absolutely. There was so much stuff like could could, did even last week, even last week, there was a lot. But but two weeks ago was. Yeah. But every week there's something. Um, And I think the the pandemic, what we missed on the pandemic is, is that people were going to go stir crazy. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there was going to be a lot of news coming out in ways that we didn't that we never could have seen coming. I think that that's been a lot of it because I don't know under normal circumstances if you know so much of this stuff would have would have really happened because people would have been too busy and um you know i don't know um and you know we wouldn't have had the out uh, you know with the outbreak stories and things like that if we didn't have this there's no outbreak um if there's no outbreak you know i mean um we wouldn't have these these the tv ratings would be certainly much better than they are um the quality of the wrestling would be much better than it is because you know, we would have the guys who were good at working crowds would would have good matches. I mean, like now, you know, every it's it's a different it's a different kind of stuff. I mean, I see the guys who are really good psychology wise, um, you know, their fights, their their matches are very often boring because there's no crowds. Mm-hmm. So everything that you've learned to be a smart wrestler doesn't work right now. Yeah. So you got to retool everything. And some people are able to do it and some people it's tougher. And, um, you know, and also, you know, with, and of course it depends too, cause like with, with new Japan, with no crowd, the one thing I've seen is like the solidness of the work hasn't changed, but no, the, the, the willingness to do high risks was no, with, with no pop isn't there. And you see a lot, I mean, the risk level of the matches or the craziness isn't there at all. I think everyone's just like. Um, trying to do solid matches, but no one's trying to do that five-star match because it's kind of like, well, I can't, you're not going to get that feeling anyway, so why kill your body for it? And then with AEW and WWE, it's become, because they have a crowd, they can do more, but it's a different kind of a thing in the sense of new guys aren't going to really get over because that weird thing like that that, that real fans will do and get behind someone isn't going to happen. So you kind of have... Um, a weird thing, but also you don't have the dead matches because the matches that would have been dead, the crowd is not going to die for because it's not a real crowd. So um, it's it becomes, you know, I mean, it's it's such a different product and, you know, management style is different. I think all the management stressed over, you know, people testing positive and just being able to put on shows and, you know, look at Florida. I mean, it's like they're both in Florida. And, you know, at what point does the governor, if this thing gets worse, just go, you know, I don't know if they say you can't do it. I don't think they will say you can't do it. But, you know, 
you know, WWE's rolling the dice because the whole travel thing, you know, they're violating all those travel statutes and, um, you know, who, you know, who, you know, who knows, who, know, you know, no one knows week to week and no one's planning out more than a week in advance too, which is, a. Uh, you know, I mean, when it first started, people were taped, you know, there was there was the idea of taping a lot of stuff ahead of time. And that's gone by the wayside. It's almost like they're overconfident or they just think that, well, we know this governor's not going to shut us down no matter how bad it gets. But um, it may get out of his hands, too. And, you know, and, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, there have been some really heavy issues uh, over these last uh, the, this last month or two. And at times, uh, you know, what happens when, when there's a tough time is, you know, the, the work, it's hard, but it, all, it often brings out uh, some, some, of, uh, some really good stuff. So I've really enjoyed The Observers recently. And I know, you know, some of the podcasts that we've done for Wrestling Observer Radio, they've been like the hardest shows, but also, you know, really important shows. So, you know, the, the, it's, I, it's been I, good. I, I, I do think that the stuff that we've done with... Um several of the shows with Dr. Patel and um, Andreas and, and um, April Hunter. Um, I'm really, I'm really happy with how those shows came out. Uh, Cause they were, you know, I, under normal circumstances, we wouldn't have done any of those shows. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd have been just doing shows based on business, the Wednesday night TV ratings and yeah. all that other stuff. Yeah. It, it's been, it's, it's been good uh, I think for for me because the whole key to those shows is you can't look at things the the same way. You have to actually sort of think differently about these situations, and you have to be way more empathetic. and And so the, it's been it definitely the the difficulty level on those shows uh, are, are much higher than you know analyzing you know business stuff or, or discussing news. But also, you know, maybe the most fulfilling when it comes to actually doing the work, because I, I know I know for on my side, you know, I'm forced to kind of dig into stuff a little bit deeper than I necessarily would have. And, you know, following the news and following what's going on in the world just in order to do a, a wrestling podcast is kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Now you have to. There's a lot of subjects I never thought I would have to learn. <laughs> yeah. Got to uh, learn them quick. All right. A well, lot thank- of things. Yeah. Thanks for doing this and uh, good luck with this week. And hopefully you don't have as nearly a crazy week as you've had in these last couple. Well, it's not, it's not up to us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. All right. Let's talk about the July 4th, 1992 edition of WCW Saturday night. John is on with me as we talk about the uh, old WCW Saturday night show, which I was trying to figure out my mem- like I was like obviously um I'm I'm watching WCW at this point and I'm trying to figure out like when I you know cuz my WCW fandom th- there would be peaks and valleys and I can't remember was I like super hot on WCW right at this time I'm going to guess that 91 and when Flair left I was probably cooling off a little bit on WCW. So I'm trying to, re- like, I remember all the big parts. Like, I remember all the major storylines, but like, some of the show and the way that they booked the show, I like, was like, wow, I can't, I don't actually have great memories of how WCW Saturday Night came to be in, in the format that it is. But um, still a fun, a fun time to, to watch this stuff. But 
What were your memories of Saturday night, you know, when you were uh, younger? Um, oh, I was still big, big, big into it right now. You know, I was watching every show. I was watching Power Hour. I was watching WWE Saturday Night. I was watching uh, WWE Main Event, Worldwide, anything I can I can see, I was watching it. So, um, yeah, no, I was into it. And um, I didn't remember some specific matches, but when things started happening, it kind of came all together. And, and uh, you know, like, like Dick Slater, Barbarian stuff. I actually, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, so it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun to to watch. And you know, I know they had two hours, but I feel like they packed a lot in just two hours. Which 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 is Watts' style. The Watts can pack a lot just in an hour. So imagine if you gave him gave him two. So he, you know, it was it was it was good. So I do remember all of the Watts stuff because I, what I remember being a kid. Actually, I was a teenager at this point. Mm-hmm. But what I remember about this time period is. Oh, that's Mid-South Bill Watts. That was supposedly some of the greatest wrestling ever. He's now in WCW. This is how it's supposed to be. Like, this is what real wrestling is about. And so I remember being super jazzed about him coming in because I just thought like, oh, I'm going to get like a history lesson in, in how wrestling is supposed to be booked. Being a huge WWF fan for you know, my entire life and, and Vince doing it much differently than Bill Watts. So I do remember that part, but yeah, some, it's like some of this stuff, like, you know, seeing Greg Valentine calling out Dustin Rhodes and stuff, I was like, ah, oh, I don't I have no recollection of anything like that. Yeah. And like Watts for me, like I, I only knew Bill Watts's name from the UWF from the magazine. So I never actually saw UWF in its first run. So like, I just knew like, Oh, UWF was a big promotion in the eighties and, and, um, you know, featured big on the magazines. It was important then like Watts coming in. Um, it must be something big. And, 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 you know, I mean, I liked this time frame. I know a lot of people will, you know, actually it's funny though. I, I remember just kind of reconnecting with, um, some wrestling fans and old friends from high school that like, you find out they liked wrestling and, and, you know, oh, yeah, I used to like that, you know. And, then, like, for some reason, like, 92 WCW, a lot of people like to talk 92 WCW, and they have, a, a, like, a really strong, vivid memory of, of, of 92 WCW. So it's very interesting. In that time, a lot of people, this has been, like, a like a darker time for WCW. Oh, it, it's, it's a dark time for both companies. Like, mm-hmm. ratings are like the lowest they'd ever been at this point in, in, in time. Because, you know, for WWF, obviously no Hogan. So that's, that's a big part of it. And then for WCW, no flair because flair's on the other brand and they're not even really using him very well at this point. Vince is just like, Oh, you know, without Hogan, I'm not exactly sure what to do with Rick. So yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, let's talk about how we get to where we are in 4th of July weekend, 1992. So Bill Watts comes to WCW in mid May. He, uh, he has a bunch of things that he immediately wants to change. Um, cutting down on pay-per-views. Like, there's too many pay-per-views. WCW is like three pay-per-views in like less than three months right around this time. Uh, and, and, and the buy rates just get lower and lower and lower. Um, cutting down on, on the number of Clash of Champions shows. Uh, Kip Fry, who is actually a part of this because he is the one who wanted to get the NWA tag team title situation going. And Bill Watts doesn't seem to really want that. He actually wants to cut back the amount of belts that they have. So 
Um, so he is Kip Fry leaves right on this time, and so we get the. I think these. I think there are ten. Maybe maybe let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, ten commandments of Bill Watts. So I'm gonna go through these commandments. And I want I want your feedback uh, on each one, and I also want people who maybe didn't watch wrestling around this time to uh, sort of. L- I, I'm interested in, in their in their feedback. Uh, hit me up on uh, at Fight Game Media on Twitter. So number one, the use of the ring barricades and the ring post is forbidden, and will also be cause for an automatic disqualification. Yeah, I don't think that worked. I don't think he... I, well, you know, then again, I don't know, like, if he gave, you know, exception to some people to do stuff. Like, I know I, I think Sting still did, you know, dives to the guardrail and missed a smear splash on the outside and hit the guardrail. But uh, I do like that. I do like that, you know, he's just trying to eliminate... Because, like, you do it too much, it doesn't mean anything, right? Like, nowadays, like, everything doesn't really mean much. But, like, you know, he, he's bringing some danger back into pro wrestling. I don't mind it, but... But yeah, it's good. But you should also, if it if it if it means something to do it, you should give the okay. Wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. Yes, I like that too. I did that too. <laughs> I did that in premiere, but I was doing something a little bit different. I was I wasn't doing like uh, I was doing more of a sport based presentation. I know he's also doing that as well. Um, uh. Yeah, because when he's doing that, because when when he there's a match with a Cactus Jack and a Vader or something like that, right, happens, that's when it just means more. Oh, my God, they're going to the outside. So if you had everyone on the card to do it, that's why, like, you see a, a dive out in the first match now, it means nothing. You see guys go to the floor, girls go to the floor, right in the opening match. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. So, yeah, I, I, I totally understand what he's trying to do. Absolutely no low blows. First offense is a $1,000 fine. Second offense is a $2,500 fine. Third offense is a $5,000 fine and will be considered a breach of contract. If a wrestler is hit low, he is to make every effort not to sell the move as a low blow. Yeah, I, I think he's probably saw because a lot of people would use low blows as a cutoff, right? But low blows should be, one, automatic qualification if a referee sees it. Or two, lead right to the finish if a heel does it behind someone's back, right? So, yeah, a lot of people... I'm, <laughs> this is a good story. I won't name the guy's name. A cauliflower day used to do, like, these training before the shows or before during the seminars. They, you know, the legends would watch these indie guys work and critique them. And there was this one guy from Sacramento. And people looked like... Looking at this guy's a legend. He's done this. He's done that. He's never been anywhere but Sacramento. But he's a legend, <laughs> right? Right, 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 right. And so he gets in there, and he hits a, for a cutoff. He hits a low blow, right? I mean, it was ugly. It was ugly, right? He hits a low blow. Les Thatcher was watching. One of the guys critiquing because ugh, happens again. He just tells him, "Get the fuck out of the ring." Oh my god, that's how pissed he was. So yeah, I mean, and it was happening. We see it on main. You know, the pros. Some guys would be lazy and hit a cut off i hit a lobo's a cut off and then the referee who knows that's not the finish doesn't want to disqualify the guy right and throw everything out of whack you know like he looks like an idiot so yeah i, I agree with what watts is doing here definitely 
All wrestlers are due in the building one hour before the scheduled starting time of the show, with fines again being implemented for being late of 1000 for the first offense, 2500 for second offense, and 5000 and a breach of contract for a third offense. Yeah, he's trying to bring some structure, but unfortunately... He's not entering the world of 1979 you know, or whatever, right? In, in the Mid-South days. This is guys with guaranteed contracts and dates. And this is, you can tell this is the boys aren't going to be happy about this one. And I know they weren't. So, yeah, this this wasn't going to be up in his favor. I get what he's trying to do. He's going to try to have some structure. But but also, you don't want guys showing up late last minute and you know either. So, uh, that's a little much. But he's just trying to, like create, like I said, create some structure there. I, I think that works if you change the schedule a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, because they're doing like what bunch of shows all over the place and here to there and crisscrossing. All right, missing an event except in the case of the most severe injuries is considered <laughs> a breach of contract. The only excusable exception to this rule is an act of God. I guess pregnancies, right? Having a kid maybe would work. Uh, Wow, that's that's a that's that's a that's crazy. But you know, I guess you know in those days you showed up working injured, right? You know, Doctor Death throwing up a bunch of staples in his head, and yeah, you know, pulled groin. He's still going to show up and work. I mean, this is definitely a different time frame back then. Wrestlers who are injured and can't perform are still expected to make the town in order to show the fans that WCW will no longer falsely advertise talent. The only mm. exception would be a crippling injury which doesn't allow for traveling. Yeah. If they're not, if they're not, if they're not crippled and then they, you know they can't travel, yeah, I can see them not making the show. But if they're there, you can maybe like say it's a baby face. Say it's Brian Pillman hurt his arm, but he, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna miss the next couple of dates. But he should be there and you make it do like he can be out there signing autographs before a show or something like that. Not like indie level signing autographs. I'm talking about a whole you know, autograph table, everything, a big, a big production, not, you know, that kind of stuff. Talking over the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited as is any cursing loud enough for the audience to hear. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm okay with that. You know, they're, they're doing a TV production, TBS family sh- entertainment show. Yeah. I'm cool. Mm, nothing bad. It was only five years later that crotch chops were all the all the fad. <laughs> hey, <though>. no, okay. <laughs> uh, fraternization between heels and baby faces <laughs> in public is not acceptable. This includes yeah. traveling together to and from the arena to public appearances, restaurants, and even to the gym. This also includes faces and heels socializing together in social situations and the gym. Yeah. No, no one's gonna buy by that. That's that's a little that's a little much for Bill Watts, but yeah, I don't agree with that one. I think it's it's fine. I think it's you know I think guys are a little smarter, you know, than back then. With they still kayfabe a little better than now. Guys don't kayfabe at all, but yeah, it's a little much though. And I mean, there's some traveling buddies who are on each other's side, right? So that's that would make things difficult for people. No guests are allowed in the dressing room, including family members, media, etc. Damn straight, man. Guys, I hate that. I hate the the old friend that showed up on the road to drive up there. It's like, okay, well, cool. Now go sit in the audience. Like, what do you, why are you in this locker room, you know, wasting people's time, right? Or, you know, there could be people that are bad influences you don't want in. So, yeah, I, okay, Watts. Well, I, I right now, I, I just see him just 
just putting a lot of structure going on. He's just trying to set some rules because it's probably Wild Wild West, you know, before he got there. Each wrestler is allowed only two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. Any number of tickets above that number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. And I will say, at this point in time, they are doing less than half houses. Yeah, they must say they should give out more tickets, you know, to make this. I mean, they did like, you know, under a thousand at times in some of these, these shows during this time frame. And the last one, everyone's favorite one. Banning the top rope so that heels can get heat. Yeah, I hated this. This one I didn't like. This one I, I didn't agree with at all. I'm like, how can how can you ban top ropes? This, this is a little too old school. Yep. And I'm glad they they finally called BS on it and they got it they got it reversed in September. But shoot, man, it was stupid. Like disqualification. I know he's trying to bring some danger into the high flying moves again, but at this point, people have seen high flying moves. It's it's. I understand, like, hey, make the ring post mean something again. Like, you know, I can understand make the guardrail mean something again. But top rope moves, I, I, I think it's a. And it's maybe nowadays it it would be fine because everyone else, everyone, everyone, every match jumps off the top rope, right? But like then, I mean, how many people really jumped off the top rope as much? Like, you know, you had Bobby Eaton, Brian Pillman, uh, Rick Rude would only, do a knee drop. Only small guys, and yeah, maybe Vader. maybe Vader, Vader did eventually. But he did it once, you know, he wasn't going up there like multiple times a match. He would go for the big moonsault once, you know, a match. So, yeah, that was kind of, that was, that was a little weird. Sting did, did top row splashes, but not all the time. There was one that wasn't here that I definitely remember, which is the removing of the mats. Yeah. What did you think about that? Well, he actually explained it. Um, and it made a lot of sense because a lot of times, well, back then, it's not like now where the mats are like, you know, Velcroed in, they're solid, they don't move under your feet, you know, they're, it's a it's a nice surface to land on. Those mats back then, a lot of times, were just thrown down and they can shift. So when you take a bump of the top rope, his, his concern was, you know, you can slip on the mat, you hit the mat, the mat slips underneath you and, and you can get injured that way. And when you bump to this floor, is it's solid, so you can you know it's easier to to bump on the floor like that. And I kind of agree because I remember you know doing stuff like how they get thrown out of the ring and and those mats were kind of weird. But like on the, actually the cement floor, I I was never nervous. I was more nervous about the mats. But instead of fixing the mats, it was just like let's get rid of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bumping on the cement's not not as if you. I mean, you know how to bump. If you know how to go to the top rope and safely, you should be fine. Or right through the rope safely, you should be fine. And Cactus Stack didn't care about doing anything on the floor anyways. It didn't matter to him. So he liked to move the he liked to move the mats anyways. Well, he does he does a crazy move on this show that we're yeah, talking about. Okay, so uh, TV ratings, like I said, TV ratings for both companies at an all-time low. Beach Blast 92, which was what the week before the show that we're gonna talk about? I uh, think? June 20th. Okay, two weeks. Uh, does the lowest buy rate in WCW history? I actually remember uh, liking that show too. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good show. It was a really good show. It's just I don't think they had that big marquee. Well, for the casuals, like they had like good hardcore matches for fans, like you know, Sting, Cactus Jack. But it's a non-title, so like if you're a casual fan that wants to tune in, like who's Sting wrestling? Oh, it's a non-title match with Cactus Jack, who's kind of been like been in like the mid card. You know, he's crazy, but like he. Hasn't gotten that like really really big push in a while. Like it was like late '91 when they kind of he kind of ended up being back in the mid card with him, 
And, you know, a dream match uh, for hardcore is the Steiner Brothers versus uh, Steve Williams and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Like I said, dream match for the hardcores. But, you know, at the time, you know, the casuals probably weren't really interested in that. But there, you know, Steamboat and and uh, Rick Rude had an Ironman match. That was really good. Um, um, that Pillman and Scotty Flamingo, who ended up being, you know, Raven, obviously. Um, that was really good. And there's some good undercard matches they had. It was a solid show, but I don't think it... Uh, you know, just didn't also appeal to the masses. The bikini challenge. <laughs> the bikini challenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and so the clash, which I think was like the like a t- couple days later, mm-hmm. does the lowest rated in history as well. And that clash was actually taped before Beach Blast. It was not a live clash. I hated the NWA tag team tournament. Not, I mean, I didn't hate it like in itself. I just. I just didn't see it because it's necessary. You know, I think I, I remember like thinking back then too, like it's just wasting the whole clash on it. Right. Instead of doing it on TV, like if you did it within the TV show, it could have, you know, had some big matches on TV. And uh, I remember being like really bummed. And I was kind of, it was kind of confusing for me as a fan. Like, wait, are we going back to the NBA name is, you know, what does this mean? And then I'm like, okay, I was okay with it if they were going to, resolve the two titles fast right there was to be a unification and one was going to go away or something like that and maybe this was a way to end the whole confusion of wsw slash nwa at the time but no it just was just just lame you know because it just like i said like too many belts it was confusing and it's funny because you say watts wanted to get rid of belts but i guess they had this deal to nwa i'm guessing that's why right they had to go through with it they had a deal with new japan in place to crown an nwa champion of the g1 so so I guess they had to keep going through with it, but God, I wish they would have. They would have. They would have just got rid of unified titles sooner instead of waiting until 1994. All right, so let's talk about this July 4th, 1992 show. Um, they taped the show at Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. Jim Ross was on the call, and there would be a different color commentator in certain segments. He starts off with uh, with Ron Simmons, and then Paul Heyman will come in. Nikita Koloff comes in at the end. So just a different mix of people, which I thought was interesting. I don't think I don't I didn't necessarily like it, but this is different from how they originally did the show jesse jesse ventura was part of the show in the beginning and it was jesse and jr and they did a lot of stuff in front of a studio crowd as well as the matches we i think we we, we went over one of these shows uh maybe like the first one or something like like a couple months ago so show opens with uh, a couple of seconds from steamboat and rude from beach blast which was the iron man match then uh, you got JR and Ron Simmons in the first match. And this is where, you know, we talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned the Dick Slater and Barbarian thing. It was weird to me because the first match has Dick Slater in a tag team with a different guy who is Greg the Hammer Valentine. And they face Big Josh and Marcus, a very young Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And the thing that stands out to me that is so weird, and I think kind of shows that, what they're doing is a little bit outdated is they immediately start selling the house show in the Omni. 
on a national cable broadcast. Like, imagine on WWF Superstars that while they're talking about the upcoming pay-per-view, they're also talking about the Madison Square Garden show the next day, which a very small amount of people will be able to see. It's not like we could watch this Atlanta TV show or this Atlanta house show. It wasn't going to be televised, but they're sell- they're like hard selling all of these uh, matches. Uh, wait till next week. It will pay off. Okay, but they're not paying it off all the time. Like it, it's just a weird thing to Watts. sell so hard a local thing when you're a national company. Watts wanted to make the Omni special again. He wa- it was their MSG, right? So he really wanted that to be his goal was to bring some money in this company, which is to you know improve the house show business, right? Because that it was in the dump. So one of the things he wanted to do was like like he said, like take certain pay per views away and all that stuff. Kind of because they want to make the live events to hey, I gotta go see the be at the live events to see these these big matches. So uh, but they do pay off this one though, and I wish this card's actually really good on July fifth, nineteen ninety two, and I wish. Because I know there is footage of it, obviously, that it would be if they damn WWE would bring that damn Hidden Gems network back. And I would hope that, man, I hope WCW, I hope actually film the whole show because that would be a cool show to watch. The, um, the match is basically Marcus Bagwell selling, selling, selling. And the babyface is never giving their comeback. <laughs> um, no, no, it's different. It was yeah. Selling, selling, selling. I, I don't did I don't I don't remember if Big Josh. Maybe he got no, in he, the match at the beginning. He got in early. He was, uh, you know, that born Big Josh. He, you know, I always liked his stuff. I, I just, I just didn't like the Big Josh character. Marcus, I liked. Um, I, I still laughed that they were trying to sell him as a twenty year old kid. Right. I mm-hmm. think, I'm sure he was a little bit older than that. Uh, but it was different, like, you know, they did it different from the norm. Like, you know, you expect the big, the big hot tags, the big Josh who would come in, clean house, and then tag again Marcus Bagwell in, who would probably get cut off and beat by the heels. But here, they kept teasing the, the hot tag, and it never came, and they finally they finally just beat Marcus, which I thought was interesting. Um, Slater hits a pile driver, and then, I don't know if big Josh th- thought he was supposed to break it up but he tries to break it up and they just blow right through it and they do i think he was trying to break it up for him to get cut off by greg valentine but greg valentine just didn't cut him off so he looked like an idiot had to sit there and you know like why didn't you break the pin dude you're right there right yeah that that i think that i put the heat on uh greg valentine i don't think he i think he missed either knocking josh with apron or just cutting him off from from that, from looking like an idiot there. And also, I, what I didn't like about this match was that the whole match, the whole match, the focus on the heels, Greg Valentine and Dick Slater, was the knee of Marcus Bagwell, right? So I'm like, okay, they're going to set up the figure four leg lock as a finish for um, Valentine. But the pile driver was the finish. <laughs> that was kind of weird. Next match, uh, Steiner Brothers, who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions. I guess they had won it recently against Randy Starr and Buddy Lee Parker. I don't. Who is Randy Starr? Um, Randy, I don't know who Randy Starr is. I, don't, I didn't remember him. Buddy Lee Parker, obviously, I know from the State Patrol days. Yeah, Buddy Parker, and, you know, he's been there for a long time. Um, but Starr did all right. He wasn't. Lost. He did some good bumps. He uh, he, you know, showed some fire. So um, I I thought for sure he was gonna take the pin, but I think Scott was a little more comfortable 
hitting that Frankenstein on someone who's taken it multiple times. And that's why, you know, he did on Buddy Parker for the pin. So, you know, always cool. I love the Steiner brothers, you know, so it was, it's always a thrill to see them. And I think they just won the IWG champion against Vader and big Bam Bam Bigelow too. So they were also the WCW tag team champions, which is where it gets a little murky because on the clash that we talked (laughs) about, they lost to Dr. Death and Bam Bam in the tournament, which knocks them out of the NWA tag team tournament. And, you know, they're, they're, they're the babyface tag team that was going to carry this thing. And so uh, Dr. Death and Bam Bam advance. And uh, so, you know, you're the tag, you're the WCW tag team champions and the IW tag team champions, but you cannot get past the second round here because Dr. Death and Terry Bam Bam Gordy beat them. Um, and so th- there was a little bit of a kerfluffle here because, you know, like I said, Watts really only wanted one. He, he, w- Watts's mentality was, look, the NWA's yesterday. WCW is where we're going. We need to make the WCW belts bigger than anything. And so, you know, if, if anything, the WCW belt should be the most important thing. So that was, that was his conundrum there. Yeah. And this, yeah. you know, this was Steiner's greatest hits. Like you said, Scott hits Frankensteiner to win. What's crazy about the, the whole Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, Steiner brothers feud, like the fact that Steve Williams and Terry Gordy, well, there's like a, I'm trying to, you might, because you're doing research on the Observer, was there an MPSA with their, like, their contracts with All Japan, with Gordy and Williams? I, it's possible. I, I read from about mid-May to July, and I don't remember anything about that yet. Because, like, that's a big political thing to navigate. Like, All Japan team beating the IWGP tag team champions but i don't know if the steiners were iwp actually i don't think they were iwgp tag team champions at that time but as we'll see soon they do get beat pretty soon by steve williams and dr death i mean and terry gordy all right so the next match we get to see cactus jack he faces the italian stallion not the rocky balboa that doing it doing and i talk about um and this is <laughs> Uh, Mick Foley just being crazy. He does this mm-hmm. like crazy flip dive from the apron to the floor. And like Mick Foley is not a graceful guy. So, and he's a very heavy guy. And, and I'm sure there was some, some skill level to this, but it just looked like the Italian stallion had to catch this crazy dude and like, and just Cactus Jack just flopped on, on top of him. Yeah. Italian stallion. He's a, he's actually pretty, pretty solid guy. So yeah, I think he was fine. Um, Long time, long time, uh, mid, I guess I would call, I always called them like the, the above preliminary wrestler guys. Like, you know what I mean? Like they weren't the, the, the guys that got beat every week. They got beat every week, but they also were more competitive, I guess. I I always kind of classified them as like, you know, that's just, just the lowest rung of the stars, I guess, you know, I, back when I was a kid, um, um, I, I was waiting for Jim Ross to make fun of, uh, his Italian stallions, um, his uh, uh, IQ level because he's always kind of made a, a <laughs> comment about him not being the smartest guy in the book. So I thought that was I was waiting for that to happen. He didn't give it, he didn't give it to me this this match. Cax Jack does a really cool interview after because he had attacked Ricky Steamboat at the pay per view, and so setting up Cactus and Steamboat in a feud. Cactus uh, puts Steamboat over as one of the greatest and. 
basically says that uh, after he's done with him, little little Ricky is going to be the one feeding Dad because uh, he's going to have a lump in his throat, but it's not going to be from from being sad. It's going to be from because that's where his liver is going to be or something like that. Like you know, Mick being super creative but putting over Steamboat as like an all time great at the same time. Yeah, and you and you see what Watts is doing here. Like he's setting up matches for the house shows, right? It's for people to get. Um, interested and build up these matches for the live events where, where, you know, it's not actually leading to maybe a television match or a pay-per-view match. It's actually just leading to some, some house shows. So go, you know, make sure you go and see those, buy your tickets. Except the business was not going there at this time. The business is still based on house shows, right? For money. I mean, they, they are trying to build that back up. So, but you know, you, it, it, you can't just abandon it. But still, the, the pay per view model was where they were able to make the most money. They just, you know, they just over, overuse that model because they, you know, it was like, oh, you know, this is how you make money now. But they did too many of these shows. But pulling back completely and going strictly and using your national television to promote a local show that um, 99% of your television audience cannot see is like going into the dark, backwards into the into the dark ages. Now, to Watts's credit, he was told, this is what I want you to do. And so he was doing those things. But the overall sort of where things were going, it was not going back to just this is where we make money on the house shows. It was actually, you know, going to be, it was actually pay-per-view had to be a big piece of the puzzle if you were going to be successful. And he's probably also handcuffed too. Like the next pay-per-view is the Great American Bash, which featured staying in Big Van Vader in a big world title match, but then also the finals and semifinals. And I think I might try to remember, they think the quarterfinals of the, the, the NBA tag team tournament. So he wasn't going to have other matches to throw in there. Like that would probably be in a good thing. Like, a you know, a good, after their little house show run, there could have been a build up to a stiff, special stipulation match between cactus and steamboat during this show. But you know, they had other plans already set in place for the pay, next pay-per-view. Steamboat has a match against Bob cook. Mm-hmm. Interesting match. He basically wins with, uh, what is what, what you would say now is like a, backhand fist or something uh it was a, you know his, karate some kind his, of martial his, arts his chop yeah. his chop which just is like a back fist today yeah i don't know if he wasn't uh we feeling it but come off the top rope that's right <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay, he could have done uh, something else a nice little roll up yeah, small yeah. package uh uh I did. So, I don't know, some kind of version of a suplex um you know good you know good solid match bob cook one of the best job guys in wrestling history a friend of mine on facebook by the way i'm just kidding oh wow uh, uh actually got to talk to him at the cauliflower alley club um a couple years ago about two three years ago if it was i just uh at our table where this is you're with me but i just went over there um and t- i saw him like sitting on a table by himself and i was like that's bob cook so i went over there and i just said you know hey i just you know i always enjoyed your work and and uh he's like oh you're lying i got i lost all the time and i was like <laughs> And I was like, no, you know, I was like, I was like, I started laughing. I was like, but you know, I always appreciate like your matches on TV. I knew it was going to be competitive. I knew they were going to be good. And, and, and he just really appreciated that. I was like, my friends would always talk about that, how good Bob Cook was, you know, and the big right hand and everything. So he got a kick that, you know, someone remembered him there at Cauliflower. And, and that was a, that was a, a little thrill for me. And then I ended up talking to him on Facebook and stuff. So, 
Um, but yeah, Bob Cook, uh, he's a really good wrestler, uh, trained by Boris Malenko, that school there, um, had a great right hand. I mean, I think even Ric Flair talked about it on his podcast about the Bob Cook right hand. So, um, it was cool to see him and, and another guy too, as well, that we'll talk later. So. All right. Uh, Brad Armstrong faces Pat Rose. So this is post, um, this would be Arachnaman. This would be post Arachnaman, <laughs> post Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, just normal Brad Armstrong. Scotty Flamingo is doing the uh, commentary. He's the light heavyweight champion, aka Johnny Polo, aka Raven. Uh, he called. He he was really good on commentary. Actually, getting yeah, himself yeah, he's over. Good, eh? Yeah. Yeah, he's always been good. At, I mean, he had, he had a lot of experience leading up to this. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know, but like, or remember, like he had a lot of experience as being that Roddy Piper role mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Portland. So, I mean, he yeah, he definitely was natural at it and, and did a great job as Johnny Polo as a as a color guy in WWF as well in 93. Yeah, I was, uh, I remember because, you know, a lot, a lot of times you learn about these guys through Pro Wrestling Illustrated and I was like, oh, Scotty the Body, like he's coming in WCW, he comes in as Scotty Flamingo. And then I remember thinking, like, he's so good talking, but I never really was too interested in watching him wrestle. Like, I, I want to watch him talk, and I want to watch him cut an interview. I wanted to hear him on commentary. When it came to the actual wrestling, I was like, uh, it's, it's okay, but I'm not looking ne- necessarily looking forward to him wrestling. I, I thought he was good. I didn't like, like, I remember WWF being really frustrated. I'm like, oh, he's, 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 he's a good wrestler. Like, just why, why, he's, why is he a manager? But, you know, there were... There were you know, focusing on his his, his uh, talk quality and that being a, a talker, even though you know later on he ended up doing really well in the Raven character and become a you know a bigger star. So this was a a, a longer match, you know, lots of holds, uh, Brad Armstrong uh, headlocks and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, so it, it, it whatever. Like if you enjoy that stuff, great. I I thought it was kind of boring, but the side Russian leg sweep to win the match was flipping awesome because he, he hits it and he floats over into the pin all in one motion. It was so awesome. Yeah, well, Brad's always been that. That's his style. You know, works holds and, and builds up to the bigger spots. And But here, he, I could tell what was going on. He's stretching time because he was giving time for Johnny Poole to talk about their match and build their match and talk about what's going on with the Omni and yada, yada, yada. So, um, and he's working Pat Rose, and Pat Rose is a good veteran. I was just talking about Bob Cook, and, and I saw Pat Rose. I got a little smile on my face as well. Also a friend of mine on Facebook, and uh, Pat, good old Pat Rose. And uh, Pat Rose is a really was a really good worker, really good. He's definitely older here, um, heavier. Uh, he, he must be. God, I wonder if he was close to being done at this time. At the, I should ask him about that. But um, um, you, you he, gotta get you gotta get the the juice for these shows from those guys. Do you? Yeah, remember? yeah, I know, I, I know. <laughs> but like, you know, a lot of times you ask them. You remember their match on you know July fourth, nineteen ninety two, and they're like, dude, I've, <laughs> I had a thousand matches, a thousand matches. You know, other than he probably, and I'm sure if he even talked, if I asked about you know, how was it like working Brett Armstrong, I was probably gonna say it's like a like a day off, and it, and it always was. You gotta you gotta ask him about uh, Watts and and just that time. I wonder if they have any thoughts about it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, definitely. I should definitely ask him about that one. And, uh, but, you know, he was, um, just a little history for you. I believe he was Sherry Martell's first person she managed with Tom Pritchard as in Memphis, Tennessee, as the Heavenly Bodies. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember that. I remember him, uh, you know, 
like I said, he was a good wrestler, good worker, just never got uh I think that his best run was might have been that as the as that time in Memphis. All right. So then we get to Michael P.S. Hayes against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And P.S. Hayes as a babyface. He is still with Jimmy Jam Garvin. They're still the Freebirds. At this point, they're the U.S. tag team champions, but Watts will uh, talk about their belts uh, uh, as we go through the show. P.S. Hayes as a babyface was all about the left hand and the DDT, and everything else was just him, you know, doing stuff and selling. And but you know, the the two moments in every P.S. Hayes match was him setting up that left hand because mm-hmm. it was so awesome, and of course uh, he used the DDT. You know, better than most. You know, the uh, uh, back then, like you know, obviously there's Jake. Mick Foley has a double arm DDT on on this show, but I was really I was really liked uh, P.S. Hayes DDT because he set it up. It was he made it. It was important, right? The way he went into it and everything. Um, this I could just uh, Hayes is heavier, really heavy here. Um, I think this is when the back injury started adding up. You know, he always took those damn. He wasn't the best wrestler. He wasn't bad. I'm not saying he's horrible or anything, but like, you know, there's a reason why Watts originally with the Freebirds brought Buddy Roberts in because you know he had Terry Gordy who was a who was a phenom and he had Buddy Roberts who was a veteran and a great worker, and then he used the best of Michael Hayes' ability, just like Johnny. We talked about with Raven and Scotty Scotty Anthony, Scotty Hot, Scotty Lingo, like you know Johnny Polo, like his mouth. He used Michael Hayes as the manager mm-hmm. of the Freebirds mostly and wrestled you know here and there in a six man tag. So, um. But yeah, Hayes is always awkward. For me, he's always been an awkward baby face. Yeah, you know. Yep. But especially here because he's so heavy. But the match, him and Steve Austin for the TV title, you know, for what it was, was uh, you know, a, a good match. That that dude, the sell of Steve Austin with the left hand by Michael Hayes mm-hmm. was freaking killer. Um, seeing Michael Hayes, he I know they're on their way out the Freebirds soon. Um, so seeing him like being pinned on national TV still like was like, Whoa, wow, damn, I, f- I totally forgot, you know, that happened. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And, um, Austin, yeah, I thought Austin good little wins match. with a bit of a struggling stun gun. That move just looks dangerous in general. Yeah. Oh my yeah, yeah. God. But he like muscled him up. God, dude, how good does Steve Austin look body? Like, you know, he was like, you know, not like chiseled, chiseled, but like, how he looked like just a super stud oh, yeah. athlete. He had abs. Uh, he just, he just looked like, he looked like God, the future right there. I mean, he just, he was, he was so great. Did you notice the, um, the transition of the NWA TV title at the time? No. WCW The belt he came out with, he wasn't showing it. He kept holding it inwards. And so he only showed the back was actually the WCW sixth man. Oh. Tag team championship. Cause they were going to debut the new world television title wcw won at the um at the pay-per-view which is famously probably held by you remember from uh you know steven regal johnny bad etc mm-hmm. so uh austin wins with the stun gun and like i said it, it seems dangerous not only for the guy taking it but also austin like he has to fall back and i i i wonder how many times he clipped the back of his head on on one of the ropes i was stun gun yeah, I don't, I don't know. yeah, it's a good question. I was a little nervous because I felt like he, or at least Hayes, jumped into his arms like way too in the middle of the ring. Oh yeah, right? not close. That's how I was like, oh my god, no way it's gonna this is gonna end up bad. But it, they they end up uh, holding him up long enough, and it came off well. Barry Windham, who is also very fat, 
not not at his fattest, but he's not skinny fat at this point. Like like he, he's not nineteen eighty eight. Barry, no, he he's still a damn wrestler. He is yeah. he is heavy. Uh, he gets in the ring and he challenges Austin to an impromptu match with no referee. Now, right before this happens, Heyman, who's been who was on the on on the broadcast with uh, Jr., is basically saying that you know. Bear Windham can't stand five minutes with Austin, let alone just, beat him. This is kind of a ridiculous way to, you know. Bear Windham's had me matches past five minutes. That yeah, yeah. Bear Windham doesn't even break a sweat, and he's not going to go five minutes. So, yeah. so they have this. So Dustin Rhodes comes out. Uh, I think I saw Steamboat. I think I saw Brad Armstrong, Ole Anderson as the enforcer referee. They all just surround the ring so that A, Heyman can't get involved, and, and B, Austin can't leave. And there's no referee in the ring. And so I was like, oh, they're going to have like this crazy fight. No, they have like a wrestling match with no ref. They just do holds and moves. And, and yeah, I was like, what's going I'm, on? I'm with you. <laughs> this was this, this didn't work. Other than the, it worked until they started having a regular wrestling match. And like, even like, even as you said, like the Bay faces are out there to kind of hold off Heyman. Like, hey, like no one was next to Heyman. He was like on his own on the opposite hard cam. Like he can easily ran in and hit someone with a telephone. If, you know, no one's going to stop him at this point. And this is what I, th- I was watching. This, I'm like, this is how I would have done it. I would have him. Okay. You guys want to fight? Which Bill Watts said, you guys want to fight? Well, let's hook him up. His famous line, right? Let's hook him up and then let him, let him settle in the, let him settle in the fight. And they just fight each other back and forth, punches, kicks. No, you know, maybe a, maybe a body slam here and there or something like that, but just be like, a, you know, a choking each other, gouging each other's eyes, punching each other. And, and then the bay face are surrounding the ring, the referees are there, but then here comes the rest of the Dangerous Alliance members, right? And then now there's a big old brawl between the baby face on the outside and Dangerous Alliance. And then Wyndham hits the big Larry, or, the, or maybe, I think it was the big Larry, yeah, right? Yeah. The big Larry, boom! And then Dustin Rhodes slides in, one, two, three. But here's the thing, too. We've already, this we, we, no, we, we didn't cover it because we're covering July to December, but in May, or maybe even April, Barry Windham already pinned Steve Austin for the TV title, had a little short run with it, mm-hmm. little, you know, and Steve Austin regained it. So even that scenario is kind of funny because like we already ha- is proven that Barry Windham can beat Steve Austin. So it was a little goofy. Yeah. But. And the whole, the whole, the punchline was that Dustin could count the three to get the visual of, of mm-hmm. Barry beating Austin. He fast counted Stone Cold though, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it mean more if, Barry's never pinned Steve Austin. And here you finally see, okay, even though it was official, we could tell, you know, we saw right then and there that he did get a three count on him. I wonder if to Watts, he was just like, anything that happened before me doesn't count. Maybe he didn't even know about that <laughs> booking. And no one even said anything to him, you know? Um, I didn't want to get yelled at. So the Barbarian fight, uh, faces Steve Pritchard. Now, this is a pretty quick squash. He uses, he wins with that big boot. Uh, you know, Bar- Barbarian as a character was always so awesome. And because he was very athletic back in the day, I always really liked him. But, you know, as that character, you do have, um, you know, you're a little you're a little one dimensional. But, uh, you know, I could see why he was always hired, why he always a job. Great look, athletic, even if he was a one dimensional in, in the ring. Uh, he was I was, I was always, I always liked seeing him, though. Oh, I'll, yeah, it was one of my guilty pleasures of pro wrestling was Powers of Pain, and particularly for the Barbarian. 
great look. I wish he was, you know, 1991 steroid out barbarian, you know, with the mm-hmm. big shoulders and traps. Um, I was, I remember being super excited that he's in WCW, like returning to WCW. Cause I knew he was in the interview before and he was back to the old powers of pain look, which I was like, uh, extremely happy about cause I loved it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I'm always down for a power uh, barbarian squash. I'm, I'm always down to see the big boot. You know, I love that boot. So awesome. Uh, yeah, for, I was happy. I didn't think he's going to be challenged for the world title. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in, the, in, the, and, and he, in the fall, he's going to get a title shot pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, but he's like a, a classic Watts guy, right? Big, powerful, a true life badass. You know, other than his, you know, wife. I think still in. I think someone told a story. I forget who it was, but it's like. You know, he was a badass. Anyone he could beat anyone up, but like he always kept, like when he got in trouble with the police, his wife would come and grab him by the ear and take him out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when he in the drunk tank, you know, grab him and get him out of there. And he's always like cower down to the wife. I thought that was a pretty funny story. Greg the Hammer Valentine with a really, really bad interview about Dustin Rhodes. He repeated himself like two or three different times. I'm not exactly sure even what he was trying to say. Uh, Just they're setting up some kind of house show match. Yeah. Oh, you know, I beat your dad every single time, whatever. Yeah, I think he was just trying to say that, man. Back in the day, I used to beat your dad all the time. I'm going to beat your little snot punk butt, right? That's all he needed to say, but he kept, like, circling around it. And he kept kept talking about himself in the third person, just repeating himself. Like, yeah, I was like, the JR looked, like, kind of annoyed, too. I don't know. I think JR just had the, oh, this was a, that was a stinker. <laughs> Beautiful Bobby Eaton against the Z-Man. I, like, when I when I looked at the time left on this show, I was like, oh, damn wait, is this the main event? Like, they're going to go 20 minutes. Nope, they didn't. They went like five, <laughs> and it was not the main event. And, good little uh, five, though. It was good. It was good. Wrist locks and head scissors. Um Eaton wins with a back suplex after uh, with a bridge because Z-Man rolled him up. He he, he kicked out. Z-Man bonked his, his uh, upper body on the middle turnbuckle, and then Eaton back suplexes him and bridges him to win the match. Yeah, he like he pulls him by his trunks. He pulls Z-Man out of the trunks. He flings him right into the bo- uh, middle turnbuckle, but like his face crashed right into that turnbuckle. It looked great, and then the back suplex of the bridge, the pin. Um, that was I always like Z-Man. I always like Tom Zank. I thought he was. He was a uh, not not a favorite, but I I, just, I always just liked him. I like thought I thought his work was good. Um, I love that super kick he did. Like and Bobby he, Bobby Eaton took it so great mm-hmm. in this match. It's a good match. Like this is like this is what I'm saying. Like this is what Watts does really well. He knows how to really pack a show with like action and good matches. And I, I, I could have been good with like three more minutes. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Me too. A me too. Short. Definitely. A little short. And they've had, and it's cool, like, for me at the time, like, I was following, not barely not missing any shows from, like, 89 to now, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, and then, the, you know, I remember they used to wrestle each other for the NWA TV title when Z-Man was a champ, and, and even, um, I think Jim Ross brings it up, too, which I thought was cool. So the show clip from The Clash with Steiners against Gordy and Doc, and Scott, uh, I think, has Dr. Death in, like, a belly-to-belly, and then he gets clipped by Gordy, and then uh, he he gets pinned in that match, and that that that's uh that's what they're teasing here with uh, Bam Bam Gordy. I guess Doc is not on this show, or he's not on this particular. Uh, maybe he was part of the tapings. I don't know, but Gordy in a one on one. So you get to see Bam Bam against Larry Santo. Yeah. So he bullies him the entire match. It's a classic like heel heel bully. 
And then he beats him with what JR calls the Oriental twist, which is what, what one of the things that does not age well on this show, which is like a twisting crossface. Um, it's like it's twisting STF. Twist, yeah, twisting STF. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, or Oriental, I'm pretty sure by 1992 was not <laughs> a good term, but you know this is yeah this is wrestling so. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool seeing uh, Bam Bam Gordy in a single. Yeah, uh, I thought he looked great. Um, I loved his, uh, his, his, his just the, the layout of the match, his torturing Larry Santo, one of my favorite job guys of all time, who was in multiple, multiple years in WCW doing jobs. Um, very good, very good in his role. And I, I remember, I mean, as a tape trader, I would get these tapes and you get these random shows that people will stick on, right? And there was like this, I mean, little studio wrestling show. I can't even tell what year it was, right? And there must have been like 12 people in the audience, right? And it's like in Alabama or you know Tennessee somewhere. All the wrestlers had thick southern accents. And there's this guy called the pro or the professional or something like that, right? Mask guy. And he's wrestling. He's pretty good. And I'm like, oh, actually, this guy's not bad, right? This guy's not bad. I'm watching this little thing. And then, like, because of promo, he's like this really good talker. Big, big southern accent. I'm like, who is this guy? And I did my research. And I'm like, holy shit, I marked out, dude. I totally marked out Larry Santo. I was like, well, who would have thunk it? This guy would have been great, <laughs> right? But, uh, yeah, so I, I was got a, just a kick. I mean, I got I got Bob Cook. I got Pat Rosenish. I got Larry Santo, who's not my friend on Facebook. I'm sure I should search him out. Not yet. But, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, man, that was uh, that was cool. The cool to see Larry Santo out. And he put him with a good guy, Terry Gordy. Terry Gordy, Terry Gordy looked great. And and this is after he had his, um, you know, his overdoses, right? So he's pretty clear of mind and... Ninety nine, and in nineteen ninety, he had one because he, you know, was supposed to get this big push as a triple crown champion, but ended up having an overdose, and they ended up taking the title off him. And, I thought yeah. the, I thought the really bad one where he comes into WWF is like a year later or two years later, maybe. That was ninety seven. Oh, so it was even it was way later. No, ninety six, right? Ninety six, because he's in ECW ninety six. He's, he's wearing a mask or, or whatever. The executioner. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he looked good, and I thought he did a really good promo too. Yeah, I always loved his voice. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so JR has been teasing this Bill Watts interview. The Cowboys about to come on, and all he says is that they're consolidating the tag belts. He didn't really have a great reason for doing so, so it was just like, oh, this, you know, we have too many, and it's it's easier to focus on one, and and thus we're getting rid of the U.S. titles. <laughs> and he's like, and, and then so JR's trying to sell it as. Oh, the last you want to be the last U.S. Yeah. championship U.S. champions ever because that's very prestigious. And I'm just like, uh, okay, and um, making something out of nothing, trying to make something yeah. out of nothing. Yeah. So the Freebirds are the the holders of those titles, and then this is where Dick Slater and the Barbarian come in, which was weird to me because we just saw Slater with Hammer. So unless they were, unless he tagged with both, which I don't remember, it was kind of weird. But uh, they want the titles, and then that was uh, that was that. So I'm assuming we're gonna see uh, a match between those two teams. Yeah, it happens on it happens on the main event. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> was uh, Dick Slater maybe 
had a couple drinks in the back <laughs> when he came out for this. Uh, he, I don't I understand what the hell he was talking about other than, I, you know, yeah, we want to be U.S. Tag Team Champions. Yeah, he, he could not get... What he was trying to say is that, you know, this ruling, which was a Watts ruling, is the reason why the belts are going away, but he couldn't figure out a way to say it, and, and it was just weird. Yeah, and I do remember... I remember this because I thought it was a weird combination of the Barbarian and Dick Slater's tag team. And at first, I'm like, what's this big announcement from... Because I'm watching the network, you know, you can see what's coming up. Mm-hmm. It says Watts has a big announcement. I'm like, what was it then? And I thought it was maybe something to do with Rude, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah, the U.S. titles. This is when they they uh, they got rid of them. So the next segment was Nikita Koloff against Tracy Smothers. And right before they get to this match, there's a clip of uh, Nikita getting into the ring. Rick Rude and Medusa are in the ring together. And he just grabs Medusa by her ears and throws her halfway across the ring. Are people going to get upset if I say that was awesome? (laughs) She took a freaking awesome bump, dude. No, that's what I'm saying. She's awesome about it. She's awesome. That thing doesn't necessarily age well, but she was (laughs) awesome. Dude, that crowd goes freaking nuts for that spot, though. I mean, I mean, we've seen it so many times in wrestling where the guy kind of hides behind the woman, and the guy and the baby face is not going to hit a woman because they won't do that. They're being on, but he's like, "I'm tired of your interference for so long. I'm tired of all this stuff." Just throws her. She takes a just a beautiful, beautiful bump, and that was awesome. And that crowd, like I said, goes ape shit for that uh, for that brawl between the two. So this match is like. Two and a half minutes of Nikita with a side headlock. Tracy smothers, gets a little bit of offense with some shoulders in a corner, and then he eats a shoulder tackle and a sickle for the pin. Nikita wins here. Yeah, Tracy's on his way out. He's going to be... They even called him the Young Pistol, Tracy Smothers. Yeah, I hated that. I hated they just... No, they just called him Young Pistol Tracy. Oh, Young Pistol Tracy. Instead of just calling Tracy... Yeah, I used to... I hated that. I hated that. Um, But he ends up in Smoky Mountain as a babyface, and Jim Cornette was so great at, you know... You can look it up. There's... I know they're online. Find Tracy Smothers, like, promos coming into into WC uh, into Smoky Mountain and he explains why he became was a heel and and how it affected him personally and et cetera et cetera and now he's changing his ways and he wants you know just like they because like they you know like you know Cornette knew like hey man on, on national television people seen you be a bad guy now you're coming into my baby face let's explain it to these people I thought that was a nice little thing that I still loved about Smoky Mountain wrestling the detail stuff uh, then there's a Sting interview. He has a match with uh, Vader in eight days. I thought that was going to lead to like Sting doing something else, but he just does that short interview. That's it. He talked about Arn, didn't he? Yeah, he's got a match with Arn on uh, the Omni uh, at the Omni, which is a Not non-title. Title. Yeah. So they didn't even try to tease that it was for the title. And then the last segment, the main event segment, is Rick Rude with Medusa against Jimmy Jam Garvin for the U.S. title. And Nikita stays to do commentary. And he could put off, uh, he could pull off the Russian accent for like one or two sentences in a promo. This was the worst Russian accent I've <laughs> ever heard in my life with him doing commentary. Like it was like I don't even know what he was doing, what accent he was doing. It was so bad. Well, you know, his dialect's changing. He's been in the country for <laughs> you know a good amount of time by now. Like, well, he got here in eighty five, right? Yeah. Or whatever, eighty four. Yeah. yeah. So he's been here for come on, man. He's just learning English. He's watching all that Beavis and Butthead. He's, oh he's my learning god. Something. 
Uh, obviously, you know, there's no surprise here. Rick wins with the uh, the Rude Awakening with, you know, Garvin and Hayes. It was interesting because you mentioned, uh, you know, them working. Both of them are not really good wrestlers, and you know they were they were they were a fine tag team, mostly just charisma, right? Just so they 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 were all mostly charisma. They well, had some good matches with good teams. Garvin Garvin was a good worker. Garvin was. Ba- a good I mean, worker. like Here back in the mid, I would say mid eighties to the late eighties, I thought he was really good. But at this point, he's not that. Oh good no, he's anymore. heavier. Yeah, he's heavier. He's older. He you know, he's been wrestling for a long time. You know, like he, things are catching up to him. I think he's. Damn, nearly done. Like, and I is, and then he did a clean job on the show, which mm-hmm. was interesting. I, it was almost like, don't beat the Freebirds team on television. Like, but they do. Well, they do. They actually do compete on television. Or, or, that, or they're you know we're getting rid of those belts, and they're probably not going to be around that much. No, so. they're not going to be around soon. I mean, Michael Hayes sticks around at least comes back because I know he becomes a manager. But um, but Garvin's gone soon soon after this i mean he's at the pay-per-view he's at the um he's part of the uh the nwa tag team pay-per-view they <laughs> they <laughs> you gotta go back and watch the free birds versus silver king and el texano from the, <laughs> from clash dude talk about a styles clash man god it was it was a rib to put this the luchadors with the free birds man that was that was that was that was hilarious and so that was it. That was our first uh, our first one of these. And so I will say that as a TV show, it's totally fine because, you know, the matches aren't very long and JR is great and they do lots of interviews. So you get to see a lot of people and they're pushing stuff. But, you know, I already mentioned the thing that bothered me, just the whole, you know, at all, all the, the Omni stuff was just bothersome because I knew, I mean, even when I was a kid, I was frustrated because I'm like, why do you keep telling me about this stuff that I cannot watch? Like, I know, you're going to show me a minute and a half from something that happens the next week and then I, w- I don't get to see it. Like, I'm so excited to see this show and I can't watch it. I still, I mean, it's funny. Your as your your reaction is opposite. When I was a kid, I was like, "Man, I wish I can go to the Omni and see this." No, no, matches. I did. No, I wanted to, but I I was like, "But I can't." So you're teasing. You're, you're, it's you're you're just teasing me. That's what it felt like. Was like a tease. Like you're teasing me with all this great stuff. I want to see the the U.S. Championship tournament uh, with Sting and, and Steve Austin. I, I, I want to see that stuff and you're teasing it and you're saying, well, we'll have some clips next week. I'm like, Oh, great. I know. I used to love, I used to love the, just the look of the Omni with the, with the, the, the overhead light on the ring. And I used to love those, those, those house show peaks, right? Like, Oh man. And then I, like, for, like I said, it, it's was designed to do what it did for me. Like I have to go, I have to be there live. I want to see a show. And like I said, neck in November of 1991. And you know, when I went to my first show, I was like, dad, I have to go see this. I have to be there to see, you know, WCW. And, and so, like I said, it worked, it worked for me. And I, and the Omni had a special place for me. I always thought that yeah, it must be a more important arena. And I used to get, like I said, I got kicked out. Like you said, you talk about Sting and um, Steve Austin, the U.S. title tournament final, right? My favorite was always the, uh, in 91 as well, it was Steamboat and Dustin Rose versus Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson. They had like a, well, I don't know if they really went 45-minute draw, but like, you know, they had like a just long match. The match looked so good. The highlights, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see that. You know, I wish they, God, I they hope WF, WWE uh, unearthed these these hidden gems. I mean, you know, are, were they even so? So you're you're sure that they were taped? 
I mean, there's just. I mean, there's, I don't know if they clips would, of them. I don't know if they would were, just were take the whole clips match though. Things. Yeah, I would think they would take the matches and cut it down, right? To take what they they needed. Because why would all of a sudden just like? It, I don't know. Maybe they did this. Maybe they kind of showed up halfway through the match. Okay, let's start filming. <laughs> yeah. The I think the other thing that stands out is that uh, a, a a really good sort of build to a main event would be better. But then again, Raw doesn't happen for uh, Raw itself doesn't happen for another I don't know another year or whatever. So it's not like even WWF was doing main events other than Saturday Night Main Events, and that's what the clashes were for. But as I'm watching this, I'm going like, God, how are we so patient as kids to not even really get many competitive matches we were we were very patient i would say though the style was competitive like you know like like for example like you know pat rose wasn't necessarily eaten up by brad you know he had some reversals and stuff like this is what i definitely noticed about watts is like he he doesn't like unless it's like a vader or something like that like he usually likes the job guys that be a little competitive and not just killed out there. So what what it seems like, or, or the way rewatching it, what it felt like was you have a really good guy or the star of the match, and then you have the the other guy, and 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 the really good guy wants to show, you know, wants to get in there and show what he can do. So it's not like where you know squash matches on uh, superstars of wrestling was like. Oh, we just want to see Sid Vicious just destroy this guy for 30 seconds. Or, um, you know, whoever the big... Because, you know, it's <clears throat> WWF big guy, you know. Oh, one-man gangs and just going to squash this guy in, in, in 30 seconds. It was like, these guys are athletes. They want to get down and wrestle. They want to show how good they are wrestling. And then they'll win the match at some point. But it was there was this sports, uh, sports presentation part that you said. Like, this is a sport. We're going to have a little bit of a grappling match. And then... When it gets yeah. something different, then I'm going to win that match. But they that they they really wanted to show that part. And it, and even back rewatching old Mid South EWF, like the job guys are always like I said, they're always pretty good or 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 or, or decent. You know, and not like the days where you're like, why is that? How's that guy even? Is he even trained to be a wrestler? He would just get his you know butt kicked and you would fear for his life. But like. But like I, I don't know if Watts like personally picked certain job guys, but I think he told whoever's gonna get the job guys for the TV TVs like make sure they're qualified wrestlers and that can handle themselves and and not embarrass embarrass the company out there. So I mean that's why you see guys like Larry Santo, Pat Rose, Bob Cook, uh, Chris Sullivan, um, you know, and and uh, you'll you'll see like you'll see the, the matches are a lot harder work too. Like there there's a, a level. We'll see as we go along. The you know he he demands harder work matches and and more competitive and more wrestling base. So yeah, so it's a fun little ride, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, me too. We'll, we'll we'll cover the the next show, and then at some point, I'm sure we're gonna want to watch the Great American Bash. <laughs> I'll have it on and, the background for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of just want to really rewatch Sting Invader. Sting invaded that, which is a big match for me. And then, I guess the finals of the tag tournament. I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, it's it's not a bad show. It's you know some matches are are good. Nothing really barn burn. Just good wrestling matches. But to well, save time, I think I would just do Sting Invader and maybe the the the, the finals and you know because that's the only thing that really of, of, of importance happened. I mean, there's some what Brian Pillman and Lager team up, you know, which is cool. But that's about it. All right. I want to thank 
Dave Meltzer for joining us, and also, of course, John LaRocca. Uh, John and I will be back on Thursday night, Friday afternoon, Friday morning, Friday afternoon, whenever you get to listen to it. Uh, we'll be back then for our No More Show, but like I had mentioned in the intro, uh, Rocky podcast uh, episode two comes out midweek, and uh, yeah, that'll be it. So for Dave, for John, I am Double G. Make sure you listen to the Golden Goal trailer at the end of this. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. As he takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 and he's... From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.